Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is the call process. Grab a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles or crochet hook and join us. Let us introduce ourselves. I'm Pastor Amanda Zensalo, and I serve as the pastor at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, I have never been on a call committee, but from what I know, it is a process. It is. Okay, so tell me, where does it start? So the call process actually begins when a rostered leader decides to leave or is called away or when a congregation decides to increase their roster. They want to call another rostered individual to serve. And that's when the call process would begin. So it is a decision made by whoever is in charge at the church. And that is who? (laughs) Technically, the church council. Church council. But if a rostered leader comes to a point in time where they have put their paperwork out and they've accepted a call to another location, Mm -hmm. then they tender their resignation. And then that would begin... The transition process. Okay, so church council then has to do what? Well, first and foremost, a transition team is appointed. Okay. And that transition team's responsibility is to listen and talk to the congregational members about what are we looking for? Who are we and who do we want to be? And they work to create what is called the mission site profile. That sounds complicated. I mean, it's church language, so it's always going to sound complicated. Okay. But let's think about it as, we'll, we'll go back to the old days of online dating. Mm-hmm. And we'll think of like, um, not Match.com, where each person puts their stuff up on the internet and you can see the other person's stuff and you choose who you contact. Mm-hmm. What was the one where you like filled out your profile and you sent it into the third party and the third party matched you? Oh, I know what you're talking about, but I don't remember the name of it. I can't remember the name of it. But there was this other other style of online dating thing where they would have you fill out the profile and they would score your type of whatever who's a what's it's and it was a pretty substantial profile mm-hmm. that you would fill out and send to this think of it like a matchmaker in the sky only it was a matchmaker in the cloud and then they would find matches for you and suggest matches for you okay so a congregation fills out a profile a mission site profile And you fill out information like there's demographic information. Mm -hmm. Are you urban? Are you rural? Is it a large community or is it a smaller community? Meaning just how many people are in your town? Because serving in Danville, Pennsylvania, which is a town of 5,000 people, Uh is vastly different than serving in Portland, Oregon. Just by demographics. How diverse is the local zip code? You can take a look at those kinds of details. Then you look at how, uh, how is your congregation doing financially? Mm-hmm. What are the debts? What assets do you have? What kind of giving do you have? What's your average attendance? Numbers, numbers, numbers. Then you get done with the numbers and you start looking at other things that are honestly a little bit more important. Okay. What is your congregation passionate about? What are the things that your congregation is 
really good at. We're really good at feeding people. We're really good at singing the hymns together. We're really good at showing up with each other when there's something that is challenging. We're really good at having heated conversations together. (laughs) Not fighting, although some congregations are really good at fighting. Mm -hmm. They won't ever put that in their mission site profile. But some congregations who have learned how to have crunchy conversations, that will go in their mission site profile because that's actually a really good sign of health, that they know how to have crunchy conversations with each other and remain community. So those things kind of go into that mission site profile. And then there's the, who do you want to be? What do you want to do next? Where do you want to go? What are you looking for? I don't even know these things for myself, let alone an entire congregation. And that's why this transition team has to work hard to spend time listening to the congregation and asking questions that bring out these dreams and really plumb the depths of what's coming within this community and how to articulate it. How do you pick that team? How many people are you typically looking for? I think it depends on the congregation. I would say some congregations, depending upon size, I mean, Mm -hmm. it really matters what your volunteer pool is. Three is minimal. Okay. I'd say getting up above seven is probably going to get pretty hard to manage schedules Mm -hmm. and get people together. Is it like a jury pool that you want to pick people from as many different walks of life, as it were, as you can? I think that's beneficial, depending upon your congregation. I think each congregational system has their own way of choosing who gets to help set that vision. Okay. And there's no particular guidance on how that transitional team is chosen, how that listening team is chosen. And each congregation is going to bubble it up on their own. This particular part can take three months, can take three years. It's hugely variable Mm -hmm. depending upon the state of the congregation. Hugely variable. How do you even have three years for that process? I mean, I know it happens. Oh, yeah. If a congregation's come through massive conflict or there's been a significant trauma and there hasn't been healing work done, then the interim comes in or a transition exterior guidance comes in and that congregation has to spend time healing before they can ever discern who they are and who they want to be. I really don't love equating it in this sense to like romantic relationships, which I'm doing a lot. I mean, I would just talked about it like being Mm -hmm. a matchmaker service, a matchmaker service, but you don't want to have a rebound relationship Mm -hmm. (laughs) with your next rostered leader, right? You want to go into the next relationship as healthy as you can. And if you don't spend time figuring out who you are, on your own, you can't enter into a new relationship with integrity and a new partnership with integrity. You're just going to burn it. And so if a relationship is ended healthy and with clear boundaries and with clear understanding, with clarity about who is who and what is what and why, 
and with vision as to where you're headed, you can absolutely create this kind of document and where we're going and what's next in a relatively short amount of time. Okay. But if there's been a lot of trauma, if there's been a major seismic shift within a community, it can take time. I think average is probably anywhere between six months to a year and a half to get the mission site profile written. Okay. That just seems like a wildly long time. And yet (laughs) it makes sense. I mean, it's a big thing. And it's also getting people gathered for meetings Mm -hmm. and writing things as a team. Oh, yeah, that's hard. (laughs) It's very hard. So that's the transition team's work. Then you get oh my goodness. a call committee together. We haven't even gotten to the call committee, of course. Okay. Nope. So the transition team goes through this whole thing, comes up with a statement, and then is it typically the same people on the call committee or you got a whole new committee? I think that there is some transfer. Okay. And again, it depends upon the congregation. It goes back and forth. So for some congregations, some of those transition team members will become members of the call committee. Okay. For some, that amount of time has been sufficient. Tapped out. Done. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Done with the work. They're moving on to other things in their life. And they're free to go about their Thursday nights doing other things or whatever night they've had their Mm -hmm. meetings. And the call committee then steps in. So the mission site profile, I haven't looked at one in about a year and a half. Sometimes I do mock interviews for congregations in transition Mm -hmm. so that they can practice before they get someone to actually interview. And I think that a mission site profile is around 14 to 16 pages. Wow. I'm still marveling at the fact that you help congregations do a mock interview thinking that it would just be the pastor who would want to, or whoever the rostered leader is, who would want to do the mock interview, but that the other side also feels the need to have that practice is fascinating to me. Call committees are just as terrified about this as the rostered leaders are. And they're trying to figure out how to do it right. And they're trying to figure out how to run the tech. Mm -hmm. Now that we're doing a lot of these, especially the first interviews are almost all done on Zoom now. Mm-hmm. And this was even prior to COVID that they were having all initial interviews being done by Skype or Zoom so that even if you were close geographically so that the pool of candidates could be wider and mm-hmm. it would level the playing field. But that means that a lot of members of call committees are often elders because they have the time mm-hmm. to be able to commit to call committees so all of this was new technology, particularly before the pandemic, when Zoom and these things have become more commonplace. Sure. And so to give them a chance to learn how to aim their camera not mm-hmm. up their nose and how to You're on mute, mute or unmute mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and to do all that work with someone who is not a candidate to be their pastor. It totally makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So the call committee, we finally got into this process. Mm -hmm. What do they do? If you've got a mission statement, what is their next step? So they interface with someone from the bishop's office. Okay. So what happens is back to this 
poor analogy of the matchmaker, the congregation's mission site profile goes to the Senate office. Meanwhile, on the other side, rostered leaders fill out our own rostered leaders profiles. Okay. And ours are, again, another 15 to 20 some odd pages. And we fill out things like our personal ministry statement and what are our five best ministry gifts and the four areas we, it's not like we most suck at and need to get better at, but you know what (laughs) Uh I mean? Like our growing edges in ministry and we fill out all of that stuff. So like I haven't had a, an actual resume in the 17 years of my ministry. This is what takes its place? 22 years of 20 some odd pages of documentation, essays and letters that fill out and go to congregations instead. I hate making a resume, but that sounds worse. (laughs) So our rostered leader profile goes into the system and then the bishop's office takes what they know of the ministry sites and takes the rostered leaders profiles and they match them up. Okay. And depending upon the Senate and depending upon rostered leader availability, a congregation or a ministry site will receive a name or a slate of candidates. Okay. And then the call committee gets to review that slate of candidates. So if we're going very traditional, the way it used to be, Mm -hmm. the call committee would receive a slate of anywhere from two to four candidates, pretty typically. And they would look through the paperwork, decide who they wanted to interview. If they release a name, that name is released. By releasing a name, you mean they are not interested in that candidate? Correct. Okay. And they can't ever go back and say, actually, we changed our mind. We want to bring that one back. Really? Mm-hmm. Ooh, okay. That's a lot spicier than I was anticipating. <laughs> Once they're gone, they're gone. Okay. It used to be that a rostered leader could only be in one call process at a time. Okay. So if my name was in a call process with a congregation, I couldn't have it in any other call process in the entire United States. And I had to wait until that call process and that congregation released my name. Was this because there was an abundance of candidates at the time? Or just that's the way it was? Abundance of candidates. It kept you from being able to like shop around. Mm. It kept you from pitting one congregation against another. Mm -hmm. It kept you from like, well, this one's going to pay me more. So this is where I'm going to go. Sure. Right. Like you really had to be in mutual discernment. With a ministry site, it also held you captive in some ways because the call process, just to be clear, the call process for me for Ascension in Medford took six months. Mm -hmm. The call process for here at Central, I think was seven months, Uh seven or eight months from the time that my name was submitted to the time that the vote happened I can't think of any other occupation where, I mean, I know finding a job can take a long time for a lot of different Mm -hmm. occupations, but that's 
wild to me. Seven months. Well, you are typically still serving in a congregation. Hopefully. When you're doing this. But you couldn't be interviewing anywhere else. Historically, it used to be that you couldn't be pursuing any other congregation. Okay. You could be somewhere needing to kind of move on. Mm, And being stuck. And being stuck. Now, because we have a shortage, because we have so many fewer candidates of rostered leaders versus locations that need rostered leaders, Mm -hmm. that is no longer happening from what I've heard recently. I mean, it's been almost a decade since I've been in the call process. Mm -hmm. But what I have heard is that it's really kind of no longer viable to expect a candidate to only be interviewing at one location. Okay. And I've also heard that some congregations are only getting one name at a time. Oh, wow. Okay. Because they only have one candidate at a time to be able to offer because there are so few candidates. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's just a different game out there right now. So a congregation will receive a slate of candidates or a candidate... They will have an initial interview. As I mentioned right now, a lot of that is happening online Mm -hmm. so that congregations can entertain candidates from around the country as well as close by and kind of give a level playing field. Usually there's kind of one or two, maybe even three rounds of that kind of interview before a congregation invests in bringing a candidate on site. Okay. And having an on-site interview. I think that with Central, I had three online interviews prior to coming on-site. Wow. And then I had an on-site interview with the call committee, the council, and the staff for a full weekend. What does that look like? Oh, it can look like any number of things. The okay. interviews that I've done, it, they've all been all different kinds of, like congregations make all kinds of decisions of how these can look. I've done one that was a three-day rigmarole that included teaching a Bible study at 5 a.m. and okay to the men's group and taking tours of the town and doing a special worship service and preaching and doing an open any ask anything time and it varies it absolutely varies by congregation what they set up for interviews wow and the process just kind of keeps tumbling along till the call committee feels they're ready to make a recommendation to the church council Mm -hmm. and when the call committee makes the recommendation to the church council the church council then can interview the candidate oh man church council then takes a vote and the church council recommends to the congregation the congregation can then have a meet and greet with the candidate oh man and then the congregation has a congregational vote which requires a congregational meeting Mm -hmm. and a properly called congregational vote for a letter of call because that's not something the church council can do on its own Correct. Okay. And then once the letter of call is extended or is offered by the congregation, the pastor has a certain number of weeks to discern and accept or decline 
the offer of the letter of call. I kind of can't believe anybody makes it through this process alive, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) It's a long process. It's a lot. Yeah. Wow. So you mentioned that things have changed other than Zoom and the number of candidates. What other kind of things have changed over the years? I think those are the big ones. I think the inclusion and the expectation that everyone will be able to manage an online technical conversation is now huge. It was something that was unique and odd 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. And now if you don't know how to do it, it's gonna keep you out of a lot of calls. Another big shift and change is this idea that rostered leaders can interview in more than one place at a time. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting to me. I haven't logged in to the site to take a look at the rostered leaders profile in a long time. Like I said, I've been here, Mm -hmm. you know, almost a decade now. And so I haven't filled in my rostered leader profile since they've made some changes. I'm hoping that some of the changes will have been beneficial, (laughs) Uh but there are some other changes that I would be very curious to see if they could make. So I'm guessing it's up to the pastor or the rostered leader to let the synod know that they are looking for something or how does that work? It is. So we turn in an annual report to the bishop. We're responsible to report annually to the bishop how we're doing, what the status of our call is, whether or not we're doing our continuing education, those kinds of pieces of information. Mm -hmm. So we make those reports annually to our bishops. And in that paperwork, we also put, are we looking to move? Mm -hmm. And is it urgent or not? Urgent. That's such a funny word when you're talking about six to seven month processes. Mm -hmm. Yep. Wow. But it is a part of the reality. So I would say that when I was down in Medford and it got to the point where we had been through the healing process and the congregation was clearly ready to move on and move forward, they had done their healing, the mission site profile was written and they were ready to begin interviewing. When I turned in my paperwork, yes, I was ready to move. And yes, the need for me to move was urgent. Mm-hmm. I needed to get out of the way. Mm-hmm. Right. And that was one of those times where the Senate office actually allowed me to interview in more than one place at a time. I was allowed to interview in a location in Oregon and a location in Northwest Washington. Okay. At the same time. Wow. Okay. So you get a call committee, you get a candidate, and they issue a call. Then what? Then the rostered leader says yes or no. If they say no, it's all over again. You have to start all over. The call committee gets a fresh slate of candidates because they've released the others and they have to start back over. Oy, oy, oy. Yeah. And the candidate also has to start back over Mm -hmm. with a new community. And for those who say yes, then at that point you begin negotiations on salary and package and set your start date. You notify your current location 
give your notice, begin your holy closure of your current call, and leave in as healthy a manner as you can, so that hopefully their process can be smooth and their transition can be kind and gentle. Wow. Okay, remind me again, all told, usually, typically, this entire process takes... Typically, for an average congregation, this process takes anywhere from six months to two years. Wow. Six months is real fast. Mm-hmm. That's a congregation on, like, jet fuel. Mm-hmm. Two years is about average. Wow. <laughs> That's just so wild to me. <laughs> okay, that amazing number is going to take me to my last question. What is it like on the other side waiting, waiting for the call committee to either come back with an actual call or another interview? That's got to be nerve-wracking. It is. And I think it's a unique kind of patience because as a clergy member, a rostered leader, you know the rhythms of the church. Mm -hmm. And so if you get stuck interviewing between like, November and May, you kind of go, well, I'll hear from them after Easter. Oh, sure. Because you you know that everybody is going to be too busy Mm -hmm. to actually get their group together, unless you've got really committed people, and especially depending upon the size of the committee, to know, like, if you have a call committee of like 10 or 12 people, Uh you kind of just give up. If you're interviewing between November and May, because it's like, okay, yeah, no, they're going to do Christmas and then they're going to do Lent and they're going to do Easter Mm -hmm. and they're going to be so busy. There's no way we're going to have an interview between now and Pentecost. So I'm just where I am and I'm going to be patient and I'm going to keep breathing and I'm going to keep praying for them and let it be. And rest in the Holy Spirit and let her do her work. And it is a unique kind of patience. That is wild. (laughs) Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about the call process. I look forward to sitting down with you another week on another topic. As do I. And if you are a congregation in the midst of transition, our prayers are with you. And know that we would love to hear from you and answer any questions or be in prayer with you in particular and with specifics. You can reach out to us at podcast at centralportland.org. Until we are back in your ears again, remember God loves you no matter what.